Chapter 5. A Break in the Fence Working together on foot next day, Pete and Hatsy strung out several thousand yards of string in both directions from the mouth of the box canyon. One line of the string went north across the creek and up along the side of Crestone Needles, ending near an abandoned mine. The other wing of the trap went off to the southwest along the mountainside, nearly as far as a small creek, which Hatsy said flowed into Lost Creek. Beyond the creek rose the dunes. Pete lugged the gunny sack of torn rags over his shoulder, and Hatsy carried a big ball of string in his arms. Every few feet between the trees and shrubs around which Hatsy looped the string, Pete tied rags to the line. It was slow work in the hot sun, but by evening they were through. Back at camp, Hatsy said, Starting tomorrow, we'll try to locate the Mustangs. When we find them, and maybe not for a few days, you'll stalk them, slow but steady, shoving them towards the trap. As soon as we've found them, I'll circle round to the box canyon and be waiting there to close the gate. Your job will be to keep them headed towards the right way and to split the herd if you can. There ain't room for even half the herd in that corral of ours, and even then they'll be packed in as tight as beans in a can. The full force of the idea that he had to haze the horses all by himself suddenly struck Pete. He had never rounded up cattle, let alone mustangs, and he knew horses were a lot smarter. He wondered if he could do the job. Do you think I can do it? Pete asked. You want a pony, don't you? Hatsy grumbled. So you have to get him. I can't be in two places at once, and somebody's got to close that gate. In case you hadn't noticed, I'm no yearling. My days of chasing mustangs was quite over a while back. I'd say even a good bit before you started added to the general confusion in Chicago. Okay, lay off, Hatsy, Pete said. I'll bet I get that corral full of horses before you even remember where it is. Don't be in too much of a hurry, Hatsy said, or you'll stampede him clear across Moscow Pass to the other side of them mountains. I mean it. You gotta be careful and patient. But as Hattie gave his warnings, there was a little friendliness in his snappy little eyes. Next morning, before it was light, Pete and Hattie rode the Appaloosas up the wooded side of the mountain immediately above the dunes. As they rose higher and higher, it seemed to Pete that more and more of the world opened out below him. He had the crazy notion that if he could get up high enough, he could see everything. There below was the flat valley stretching dozens and dozens of miles to the north and west and south. There was his uncle's spread with the ranch buildings. Hundreds of cattle dotted the rangeland. Now we're above the dunes. Maybe we can see something, Hatsy said as he lifted the handkerchief which hung around his neck and wiped his sweaty face. The ride had been strenuous for him. When the old man dismounted, Pete unsaddled both horses to give their backs some rest and air. Then he squatted cowboy fashion on his heels beside Hatsy. Down below was the glistening marble of the dunes. Pete could see the many hollows and ridges which didn't seem to make the same kind of sense that the canyons and gullies on the mountain did. Wind shaped things differently from water, he thought. He could see where Lost Creek disappeared into the sand and then out west several miles, a place where Hatsy said it reappeared into the swamps around a lake. The world seemed bright and clear and wonderful, but Hatsy reminded him that they had come up to the mountain on business. Down there somewhere is your horse, he said. 
He untied the slicker from behind the cantle of his saddle, unrolled it, and took out a pair of field glasses. Pete wondered how long they'd have to wait for his turn with the glasses, but Hatsy handed him the unopened case. It's your horse, he said. You find him. The powerful lenses brought the green and white world below miles closer. Pete's eyes followed along the green as it merged with the white dunes. Maybe the horses would be grazing there in the open. All around the dunes he looked, and then out onto the flat sagebrush country. Then he turned to the streams out in front and to the north. Not a horse anywhere, he thought, and wondered if he'd have to come up here day after day before getting a second glimpse of the Mustangs. Maybe an hour had passed, with Hatsy saying nothing much except to tell him that Hooper was the name of the dozen or so buildings which showed up in the southwest distance. Another time he identified the Happy Days mine dump a little to the north of them, on the lower slopes of Crestone Needles. A breeze was teasing the ridges in the dunes ever so little. Just faint wisps of sand showed along their edges. Pete watched it drowsily. It was hot and he was getting sleepy with nothing to do but sit and look. Then suddenly there was a violent motion just where the dunes swung up onto the mountainside below him. He focused his binoculars, and what he saw was the wild horses. There they are! he shouted and jumped down, running a little, to try to get nearer for a better look. Take it easy, partner, Hatsy warned. No man ever caught a horse by jumping round like a frog in a fire. Let's have a look. Something sure spooked them good, he said after a long look at the horses as they continued to fly over the soft, spongy surface of the sand. They're headed south, too. That don't look so good. Hattie handed the glasses back to Pete, who followed the fleeing band as they topped ridge after ridge of the dunes. Presently, Hattie took the glasses again. It looks like bad news, the old man said. They're still headed south like they sure want to get away from something. It'll take a few days for them to graze back anywhere near the mouth of our trap. Can't we ride down and start driving them back? Pete asked. We might, if we had a lot of cowpokes to help us, Hatsy said. But the only sure thing is to wait till they come back where we want them at the mouth of the trap. Hatsy went on to outline, in more detail than he had before, the campaign for catching the horses. We gotta get between them and the dunes early some morning as they's going for water. And we need to be above them, too, in order to keep them from coming out above our trap. And we've gotta be ahead of them down by our camp. Now that's quite an order for the two of us, of which I don't aim to be one because I've got to hide out by the entrance to the box canyon. But that takes at least three people, and there's only me. Pete was annoyed. I don't, I don't see how we can do it, he said. Take it easy. Columbus crossed the ocean, didn't he? Hatsy replied. Speaking of that, the great-great-granddaddies of these Mustangs came over right after Columbus showed them the way. There was no fooling Spanish horses, and they've been around these dunes ever since anyone can remember. You may not get them in the trap on the first few tries, but they ain't going to travel back to Spain neither. Pete was less annoyed now, but he still felt puzzled and a little hopeless. Do you honestly think we can catch even one of them? he asked. 
I'm not making any promises. It partly depends on luck. And I've noticed that folks use their brains usually have the most luck. Well, if there's nothing to do but sit around for a couple of days, Pete said, I guess I'd better use that time to go back to the ranch and send a letter to Mom and Dad. Don't forget, Clary ordered a mess of fish, said Hatsy. Maybe we can get some before dark, and you can easy ride across to the ranch tonight. There'll be a moon. Returning toward camp, they kept up high on the mountainside. When they finally turned to drop down to camp, they were above the south wing of their trap. When we come to our fence, Hatsy said, you get off and make a break in the string so we can get the horses through. Even my Appaloosies will spook at them rags. When we're through, you can tie the string together again and the fence will be good as new. When Pete caught sight of the first fluttering rag, he dismounted and went over to the string. But he found it had been broken just where they planned to go. Hey, Hatsy, the fence is broken! Pete shouted in excitement. And more did it, Hatsy said after riding up and inspecting the site. He pointed to the tracks in the gravel, which Pete's untrained eye had not even noticed. A horse and a burrow have been through here, and a man with mountain boots walked around right where that break is. All adds up to say that Moore does what he pleases around here just as if he owned the whole Dad Burns Sangre de Cristo range. A decent hombre would have tied that string together if he had to break it to get through. Looks like I'd better check over our fence tomorrow morning while you're riding back here from the ranch. We could lose a lot of time if those horses found a break in the string like this and got away from us. As Pete repaired the break, he felt irritated and angry. It was beginning to look as if that queer guy Moore could be a real nuisance if he took it in his head to be one. Pete couldn't help wondering why he was so unsociable. At camp, Hatsy reached into the wagon and drew out two fishing rods, a wicker basket, and an old cigar box. Now don't you tromp hard when we get near where we're going, and don't you show your shadow on the water. Rainbows spook when they feel the earth shake or when they see something unusual like a cowboy from Chicago. A little way upstream, Hatsy pointed to a high bank that overhung a deep pool. Pete moved as quietly as he could and was glad he was wearing moccasins instead of high-heeled boots. Hatsy handed him a fishing pole rigged up with a big grasshopper already on the hook. I always use grasshoppers when the water's a little riled. There must have been a storm high up on Crestone Needles, Hatsy explained. Pete looked at the water and saw that it was not as clear as usual. Pointing to the pool, Hatsy said, There's a big fellow hangs out here around this time of day. Just toss the line over and don't stand where he can see your shadow. The water was dark under a canopy of leaves. Pete couldn't guess how Hatsy was so sure there were fish there, but he did as directed and Hatsy went off to another pool. It seemed no time at all before there was a jerk on his line. He snapped the rod up as if he thought the whole world depended on him to save it at that very instant. There in the air over him he saw a flash of motion and his line followed it back to a tangle of choke cherries. I got one! he shouted and ran after it. He found his line all snarled in the bush, but no fish. 
He was still on his hands and knees looking for the fish amongst the leaves under the bush when he felt something cold go down the inside of his shirt collar. He jumped up and the cold thing went way down inside. There behind him was Hatsy, cackling. In a second, Pete had pulled a slippery fish from inside his shirt. Just happened to be going by and noticed that a trout over there by that big rock, Hatsy said and pointed to a boulder further away from the creek than the bush. First time I heard of rainbows growing out rocks. Seems like I had always tried to catch mine in the water. Pete examined the fish and saw that his excited jerk had pulled the hook right through the side of the mouth. By good luck, it had fallen in a crack between two large rocks and had been wedged there firmly. It's the same with fishing as it is with horses, son, the old man said. You don't have to do everything all at the same time and all of a sudden. When you start something, you got to have an idea where it's most likely to end. Pete baited his hook again and Hatsy showed him how to play the fighting trout until the right moment to land them. By dusk they had caught ten nice ones, just enough to make a dinner for Aunt Clara, Uncle Lem, and the hands at the ranch. After a quick meal, Pete saddled Polka Dot and set out. Riding over the alkali flats under the moonlight, Pete was careful to keep the dunes right behind him as Hatsy had told him to do. It was easy to see the dunes each time he turned around to make sure of his bearings. They shone with an almost phosphorescent glow, a great bright heap against the darkened barrier of the mountains. Pete felt deep excitement as he jogged steadily along toward the ranch house. Here was a world more strange and beautiful than he had ever dreamed when he planned to spend his summer in Colorado. Each bunch of sagebrush and greasewood stood out gray and sharp in the silver light. Behind and ahead and away off to his right were the jagged, immovable mountain ranges that seemed to shut out all the hurrying, mixed-up world he had known before. Everything was perfect. The cool night breeze brushing his face as he sat relaxed, the little sounds of leather on leather that came from his saddle, the small jangle of the bit, the steady, sure beat of his horse's feet. As he leaned in the saddle to open the last gate in the barbed wire fence, before he reached the ranch, he wished this moonlight ride didn't have to end, but there not far ahead were the outlines of the ranch buildings. As he drew closer, he saw that the one light showing came from his aunt and uncle's bedroom. He put Polka Dot in the barn, where Chief woke up to greet him with a cheerful yipping and wriggling of his whole stiff old body. "'Hi, Chief, old boy. Getting kind of lonesome without any horses? Here's company for the night.' He patted the dog, took his bundle of fish from behind the camp and went to the kitchen. It's me, he called. You needn't get up. I'll see you in the morning. But as he spread his trout in their wrappings of damp grass on the kitchen table, Uncle Lem and Aunt Clara came in, fully dressed. We thought you'd be here for supper one of these nights, Aunt Clara said. And we were sort of waiting for you. It's good to see you. How's Hatsy? Oh, Lynn, look at the trout. I caught three of them myself, Pete boasted. And he told how Hatsy had stuffed one of them in his shirt before he caught on to the tricks of landing a fighting trout. Did you have your supper before you left camp? Aunt Clara asked. I had a mess of trout, Pete fibbed, remembering his snack of cold beans, cold biscuits, and cold canned tomatoes. You'll probably starve anyway after the long ride, Aunt Clara guessed accurately, and she set out a big piece of apple pie, some store cheese, and a pitcher of milk. As Pete finished his second helping of each of these, Aunt Clara said, You haven't had your mail! 
She got a letter out of the dish cupboard where she always kept the important papers. I guess I must have forgotten about it, Pete confessed. He'd been too busy thinking of how to keep from saying anything that would give away the plan he and Hatsy had for getting the horse. He glanced hurriedly at the letter from his mother. His father was painting the house and Charlie across the street had been quarantined with scarlet fever and everybody missed him. He missed his home too, but he had been so occupied with Hatsy that he'd forgotten all about being homesick. Come on, Ma. It's time to turn in, said Uncle Lem. We can talk some more in the morning and find out what shenanigans Hatsy's up to. But in the morning there wasn't much time, and Pete was glad of that because he didn't want to reveal his secret. He wanted to leave right after breakfast, but Aunt Clara reminded him he should write a letter home. When this was done, he saddled up, tied on the bundle of well-wrapped, fresh-butchered beef and other treats that Uncle Lem and Aunt Clara had put together, and prepared for the ride back to camp. As he turned Polka Dot East and started off, Old Cheat panted along a little way, keeping him busy. Just before Pete reached camp, he paused at the top of a rise, hoping he might just possibly sight the Mustang somewhere. They were not around. But off to the south, something did catch his eye. There was a man on a familiar horse. It was Moore on Bridger, and he was headed out along the flats. I wonder what that guy's up to, Pete thought and urge Polka Dot down the ridge into camp.